I'd like to welcome our sponsor, Form Assembly. Form Assembly's all-in-one web form platform lets you create forms for just about any use case, from contact forms to donation forms, all while taking advantage of useful features such as notifications, e-signatures, and more. Not only that, but you can also connect data to systems you already use. Form Assembly integrates with Salesforce, Pardot, PayPal, and many other common solutions. You can find out how Form Assemblies help Salesforce customers optimize their data connection in a free ebook that we've linked in today's show notes. Whatever your data collection needs are, you can be sure that Form Assembly keeps your data secure with encryption at rest and in transit on all plans, plus compliance with GDPR, CCPA, and more regulations. At the end of the day, Form Assembly helps you save time, money, and effort while getting the maximum benefit out of the data you collect. And I'd remind you, when you support our sponsors, you support the show. Hey everybody, this is Xixiao. This is yet another new episode of Salesforce Web Podcast. Today I'm sitting with the returning guest. His name is John Daniel. Hello, John. Really nice to see you. Good to see you, Xi. Thank you very much for the invite. Good to be back. Yeah, so one year ago we had the conversation. I remember it's about uh, our managed package or something like that. Yes. The second generation mm-hmm. packaging, right? It was second really generation packaging? Yeah, it was really famous. A lot of uh, listeners, you know, we got and the people appreciating for that. So today I want you to return here talking about uh, an interesting topic. It's called unit for work. Just uh, listening to this term, if you haven't heard about it before, probably have no idea what we're talking about. What is unit of work? So would you mind to really define what is unit of work? Sure, absolutely. So um, unit of work is nothing more than uh, a software design pattern. And that's really all it amounts to. Um, You know, there are various software design patterns out there. This one has been around, I think, somewhere between 15 and 20 years I know of. Um, I first heard about it in the uh, early 2000s. And uh, the first place I originally heard it was uh, uh, by a gentleman named Martin Fowler. He's a uh, technologist and a big thought leader in the world of um, just general programming and architecture. He wrote a book um, called Patterns of Enterprise Architecture. And uh, it was, I think it was chapter 11 of that book that went into depth about what this concept is. So um, at the, the simplest idea about what the unit of work is, it, it allows you to simplify your code when you're dealing with lots of DML statements across multiple um, related data objects. So... Uh, probably one, the easiest example to think about is, you know, the data model um, in Salesforce has the opportunity object and that has the opportunity line items. And then the opportunity line items has a price book entry and price book entry has related pro- um, product entries. And so you've got this interconnected data model and you might develop a service, uh, uh, basically an apex process or something like that, that 
has to create lots of records all at once. So without the unit of work, what you end up having to do is, well, you have to insert all of your um, uh, product records, or excuse me, the opportunity records. And Mm because you need you need to grab each one of those with their IDs so that you know how to um, populate the opportunity line item records that are associated to the opportunity. And you you've got to be careful because if you were just inserting every opportunity and then one opportunity at a time and then inserting one opportunity line item at a time, then you quickly blow out the DML limits Mm -hmm. on an apex transaction. So. When you, when you factor in the fact that you've got to make it all bulkified, then that logic is lots of lists, lots of maps, twisted logic. And all of that is strictly – it's got nothing to do with your business logic. It's just how do I get all these data objects in there? It's a long definition. I think you have covered a lot of important information. Yeah, let's, let's break it down. One thing I hear from you is the keyword to related object. What if it's not related object? Does a uh, uh, unit of work really help us the design pattern? Yeah, I mean the unit of work um, is good because you know you don't have to worry about when do you insert object A versus object B. Mm. And again, you can just you know it's a good practice to um, keep all of that uh, towards the the lat- the end of your process. And so just make it one simple area that where you do all the DML. And so you always know exactly where to go look in your code for DML failures or, or what that point is. So, yeah, it, it can easily keep track of unrelated objects. Um, sure, it's not as it's not always needed. It might be overkill, but it's again, it's a, like all design patterns. They're just uh, you get into habits of good practices, and so it easily handles the bulk of vacation process as well. You mentioned the unit work is a design pattern. And then there's a unit work library, right, coming out from the FFLab mm-hmm. library. So that's the implementation yeah. in the Salesforce world. Just make, it sh- make yes. sure we understand. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to that, you mentioned uh, unit work, how it really works is that we create an instance. And then we pass mm-hmm. that instance into our transaction thread into different classes, uh, one after another. Somehow, I always think of it as the bucket. You pass that bucket into Fair the classes, so. and then you collect the DM actions, right? You don't yeah. do the DM actions on the fly. You just collect those actions into the bucket. And in the end, when you pass out that bucket, and then you say, now, let's make a commitment of all the DMLs, that's the time mm-hmm. we make the commitment. Yeah. If you really do implement a large code base and and really implement the concept of separation of concerns, what you're going to have is a lot of Apex classes. They have very discrete purposes. You might have some service classes that deal with larger transactions and orchestration of larger transactions. You might have some domain objects that um, have very discrete operations that they'll do on specific records. And so while that is a very good um, practice to get into, you're you're also dealing with the question of well, I, as part of this entire comp, um, transaction, I want to you know do some DMLs here, I want to do some DMLs in this object, and so it's a question of how do I thread all those DMLs from all those distinct classes together in, in some sort of organized fashion. So what the uh, unit of work really does is again, it's it's like you said, it's an instance of a class. And you just basically pass it around to all the methods that you're executing for the various things. 
And then usually it's um, created in the service, which is usually the beginning of this larger business transaction. And when at the when you're done calling all these different threads, uh, domain objects and whatnot, then you the service just goes ahead and um, grabs the unit of uh, work and just commit all the work. And it's at that point, um, at the end of the tr business transaction, when all the DMLs um, occur. And so one of the nifty things about the, uh, the unit of work pattern is that it understands the data relationships between all the objects that you're dealing with. It understands the concept that the opportunity object has to be inserted before an opportunity line item. It understands that a price book entry has to be inserted before um, opportunity line item because it needs all that information and needs to uh, do all the mappings at its own. And so it handles all that complexity at the, at the end. Okay. So in the sense that it keeps the relationship, it keeps the order of the DML actions, and then you just say run, and then it will execute yes. one after another. Just out of curiosity, what if some of the records failed? What would happen? Would the whole trans transaction roll back, or are you able to define? So um, in the default implementation of the unit of work class, what you'll see is that at the at the if you really go look into the bowels of the um, default implementation of the unit of work, what you'll see is eventually you come to the standard apex insert statement, the standard apex um, upsert, up, uh, update, and, and delete statements. Mm -hmm. And so those standard statements um, basically are all or nothing transactions. And so what you end up doing is, is if any one of the records, maybe you have 10, if, if one of them fails, then the entire group is going to roll back. The entire group won't be inserted or updated. And all of the transaction, it, it'll just bubble up a, a DML exception and everything will stop. And so that entire transaction boundary, you know, everything will roll back and you're, you'll be fine. Mm. The implementation, the unit of work implementation has um, various hooks and techniques where you can override that. So um, if you're familiar with the Apex uh, command, the database.insert command and the database.update command and the database.delete command, there is a, an optional flag on those methods that says, no, I don't want to make it all or nothing. I want to make it um, basically atomic transactions. So you could set up your UOW to just go and save and commit anything that it can and give the information back of the things that fail. Mm. So it's very flexible from that perspective. Okay. And so you've got lots of control that you can exercise in whatever direction you want to go. Mm. Just to add my experience of using the service layer out of the separation mm -hmm. concern concept is that... Uh, Usually when I use the unit work instance from the service layer, I want it to go with this none or all. If something failed partially, mm -hmm. I don't want it partial DML actions, right? And yeah. the next time, what, what should I do? How do I know how many uh, records were inserted in the last run? And now I do it again. So that makes the life really difficult. So if something failed, I want everything rolls back. So most of the time, that's that's the things I want to happen. Yeah, I mean, in the in the example with opportunities, if one of the opportunity line items fail, then sure, you want the opportunity line item, all the opportunity line items associated with that parent opportunity to all roll back. Mm -hmm. But there might be another opportunity with a whole other set of opportunity line items that you want to go ahead and let that go through if that saves correctly. Mm. That's a possibility. Again, it's it's all about what is your business use case and and what do you need from there. So okay, but I mean, you know, you know, another thing is um, 
while this class is part of the Apex Common Framework, you actually don't need the full Apex Common Framework to utilize this class. The class is very well written. Um, it came from uh, the guys over at Financial Force originally. It's part of the entire um, Apex Common Library. And their implementation is very tight. And you literally can take this class plus its associated test class and just drop it into your code base by themselves. There's no um, secondary dependencies on anything else. Okay. So if you only want to take advantage of the unit work, just drop that one thing in there and just use it. That's and nice to know. You yeah. take advantage of those guys. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I got it. Another thing I heard from you is that you can reduce some intermediate code, like um, the map, the list, when we do the DMLs. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in Salesforce world, we want to bulkify. When we insert a lot of um, account records, for example, we want to create the list. We want to add them one mm -hmm. by one into the list and then to the insert. And the unit work can really save the code to make it more clean, more uh, like a business oriented. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it maintains the interconnection uh, relationships between parent records and child records and, say, grandchild records, um, what happens is it it knows that, say, say you're dealing with the parent records and account record, and um, it knows that it can do in one DML, one DML insert, it will insert all of those account records. Now, they're not related to each other, but it does all of that S object, and it drops them all as fast as it can. And then it knows the relationship to, say, child contact records or some other record, um, maybe a case record or something like that. And so it knows that it can go process those, and it, it still remembers each of the individual relationships. And so it maps the IDs from the parent account record down in there. And then it just does a bulk insert or bulk update or whatever of, say, the contact group of records. And so it goes through each of those um, stacks. So the number, uh, which is good because it, it bulkifies and the number of actual um, DML statements is drastically reduced. Um, you know, it's not a concept where you're doing a, a single DML inside a for loop or something stupid like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, it definitely will optimize to as few um, DML statements as possible. Okay. You know, one of the benefits of using open source libraries that uh, can reduce the the code, the unnecessary code you mm -hmm. are writing, right? You focus on the business requirement. But the thing is that um, I need to trust the code from the library. So what if sometimes I found some bugs and something doesn't work as as how I used to work, like I use, just use the insert from the Apex? Mm -hmm. And then that makes the life of a consultancy difficult, right? It should work within a day of work, but now it has a bug. Then what should I do? Should I tweak or should I submit a request? That's usually I hear, you know, as a challenge for, for the people using the libraries. Um, well, I guess, I mean, that's true with everything. And... Um, so uh, I guess you know it's it, um, it's it's difficult to respond to that. I guess you know if if you're finding problems with Salesforce, you know it's it's not open source, so you've got to call their support. Um, you've got to be you've got to open a case and get that done. With the open source libraries, it's very easy to um, you know go straight to the source code, fork that repository. I mean, all of these. Uh, libraries live on github and specifically um they live under the um the github organization apex enterprise patterns 
Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I mean, fork it. And if you, and if you see where the, the problem is, go ahead and fix it and open up a pull request so that the uh, maintainers of that repo can review. And you're just helping you know, them get, and everybody else really, helping them get that uh, quality even higher for these repos. So Good comments. Yeah, you're, it's a community driven. It's community help. You know, it's it's one community member helping another community member, mm-hmm. and so we're all in this together. And and you in like you said, you know, the the frameworks solve a lot of the common problems and the common plumbing that we need. And uh, you know, I, I I like to consider myself very um, ambitiously lazy when it comes to um, development. I don't want to you know, do the stupid, um, you know, mind numbing, repetitive tasks. I want something that, you know, can come in and, and solve my problems. And then I can get into the more interesting aspects of my job and my development and projects. So, you know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel all the time. So I just want it to work. <laughs> in that sense, because Apex is still like a, a sibling of uh, Java and the, the syntax is still a bit old and definitely... Without a unit to work, there's a lot of code, uh, unnecessary code we need to write. Um, like a, right. do a lot of for loop, create a lot of mm-hmm. lists and the maps just to fulfill the, the the needs. But here, by using Apex, we can build additional layers on top of that to hide the complexities. Yeah. I mean, because, again, if you're dealing with a, a very simple, uh, you know, a very simple controller behind a, uh, a lightning page that does, you know, a very quick insert. Well, mm. okay, that use case is very simple and very easy to do. It's, it's basically the hello world. Mm-hmm. But when you have, you know, a large uh, enterprise or, or larger organization, you know, thousands or millions of lines of code, you, you've got to bring some organization to that uh, code base. You've got to bring some consistency and some sanity to that code base. And so these frameworks uh, definitely step in the right direction. They help um, they help new developers. Because, I mean, you, you got Salesforce. A lot of times when I've met Salesforce developers, and this has been their only programming job. Hmm. And, it, and I find it interesting because, you know, they, they come and they learn and they, and they get on trailhead and they learn the basics about how to program. But, you know, they haven't had the experience of dealing with very large code bases and how to keep the... The organization, how to keep everything sort of interconnected, but loose, you know, these simple concepts like loose coupling and separation of concerns, they've just never had that experience. And so these frameworks are a great way to learn those types of patterns that, you know, I learned about, you know, because I've been around since dirt. Uh, But, you know, I I learned about it from in other languages. But then you've got um, people like Andy Fawcett, who um, with his book, um, the Salesforce Lightning Platform Enterprise Patterns book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you've got a developer out there who has, who's serious about any kind of real development, they need to read that book, Salesforce Lightning Platform Enterprise Patterns. And it, and really, that book is an adaptation of, like I said, Martin Fowler's P- Patterns of Enterprise Architecture. The, these these concepts, these design patterns, have been time proven and time tested, and you know they 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 these patterns keep sticking around because they're useful. They work. They simplify a lot of the maintenance and a lot of this the construction of this. Mm-hmm. And the UOW pat the the unit of work pattern, excuse me, UOW, um, is a beautiful example of this because it just makes life so simple. Yeah. Mm. 
Sorry, I'm just rambling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. I mean, since we're already sidetracked, let's talk a little bit about um, your working experience. So you, I think you are definitely an advocate of uh, FFLib libraries and some other mm-hmm. design patterns. So during your work, um, if the team is not using those libraries, do you try to convince them to, to use them and let them get oh, yeah. the benefit out? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because when you're dealing with teams, um, you you have to get you know you have to get the team unified in a single direction. Everybody has to know kind of where everybody else is going and how you know what what the the coding constructs are. Hmm. If you don't have that, then the team synergy will not be there, and, and the teams won't be efficient. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different uh, ways to do things, hmm. and and. The uh, you know yes like you say I'm I'm a big advocate of uh, the uh, enterprise patterns the Apex Common framework the Apex Mox framework mm-hmm. um, the Force DI frameworks the AT4DX frameworks all these different open source ones around enterprise patterns um, partly you know they definitely work they're not I, I don't I never make the claim that they're the perfect solution all the time but they are probably the most popular out there they are probably the most prolific out there and you know if you if you pick up experience in one job using these um, frameworks it makes transitioning to the next job so much easier because you already have this experience and you know there was a gentleman that i worked with and he had learned how to work with uh, the apex common framework in a previous job and so i started talking to him about you know our designs for our project, and then I started using terminology that you hear in the Apex Common Framework, you know, service layer, domain layer, selector layer, the unit of work, and he immediately clued in and he knew exactly where I was talking. So it fosters a good, consistent vocabulary about how to express the design, and that is critical. Um, you know, again, coding a solution is actually pretty simple in the grand scheme of things. You know. One of the the biggest uh, struggles a lot of time for developers is expressing and articulating the solution to lots of different people. And so, you know, these types of patterns help, you know, young developers especially figure out how to talk about things in a consistent manner and and view things in a consistent manner. And, you know, if um, they talk about all these different frameworks is is a a tool to... um, help teach uh, things like bulkification, especially which is important in the world of Salesforce. But I mean, you know, uh, um, yeah, so I can go <laughs> yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Let, let me drag you back a bit. So the unit work, let's say if I use the unit work instance in the service layer, I would assume mm-hmm. usually we just create one instance and then pass it in, right? Does it mean yeah. the whole transaction I only create one instance, or is there some situations that create multiple instances? There are there are a couple of times um, where maybe two unit of works are needed. Um, maybe you have to cause a slight delay to let certain background processes run from the first commit, and then you will pick it up and um, requery. Um, the objects and and utilize a second unit of work, a clean, fresh unit of work, and do a second uh, commit of that work down the road. Um, there's a couple of, I'm trying to remember a exa- specific example, but most of the time, 
a business transaction in Apex can be accomplished with one unit of work. It's very rare that it's not. But yeah, but there's nothing stopping you from instantiating two different versions, just passing the ones that you want Mm -hmm. around, and then just execute the commit in the order that you want. Usually it's UOW1 and UOW2. And I'm going to commit work on UOW1, and then come later, I'll commit work on UOW2. Okay. After a conversation with you and all this design things around the unit work, the thing is that I feel it's so simple to use. Everything's encapsulated. Everything's like taken care of for you. The relations, the DML actions, and you know all the orders. So you just push the things into the bucket, and in the end, they just make the commit. Basically, two things, three things you need to do: create the instance, push in the DMLs, make the commit, and in the end, right? But are there anything that the implementation of the unit work in FFLib cannot really handle? For example, I heard, for example, if a relationship is um, a lookup field into yourself, there are some objects that are doing things like that, right? If you have a contact, you have filled that lookup into yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you have a recursive lookup, what you would end up having to do is have multiple unit of works. And so you would do the first, um, so the, the parent record, um, you would go into the first unit of work, and then the uh, child record would be set up for the uh, second unit of work. Now, it's a recursive back to the same object. And so that's, and so it, the unit of work can't address the recursive nature of lookups. But, you know, lookups to other, other objects, it doesn't really problem. But, yeah, that's a sort of a special case versus a normal type thing. But, again, you know, two or multiple unit of works will handle that just as fine. So, basically, what do you mean is that uh, really look into the code to see how it's implemented. If there is a limitation, you understand why there's a limitation, and then maybe you can easily find a workaround. That's the power of the open source. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And I, I mean, like I said earlier, if you really, um, if you really uh, open up the source code of the unit of work class and see how it really comes together, you'll notice where the hooks are to, um, in you know, adjust it, maybe switch from uh, all or nothing transaction to atomic transaction, or to address certain aspects. Um, you know, when uh, platform events first emerged we were able to um, code a uh, additional piece of work logic essentially and add it to our unit of work instance. And because of the way the unit work was set up, we just said, when you get to the end of the co- um, the uh, commit cycle, go ahead and process these um, uh, platform events. Now, since that was about two years ago when that happened, and uh, but it was very easy to extend and plug in extra units of work into the, the main unit work. And, and have it adjust and expand. Uh, since then, unit of work has gotten first-year support for platform events going forward because it was, again, it was something very simple and very, uh, we just opened up a pull request to the main repo and it was accepted. Oh. And, uh, but yeah. Okay. But, you know, it's that kind of things. When new things come about, it's, it's very easy to okay, add on. that's cool. I didn't know it started there. to support the platform event. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, and I mean, when I say support, it just it handles the sequence of when it actually um, uh, puts yeah. them in. You know, we added a couple of hooks to say do it, do it, send a, send these platform events if we got a DML trans uh, exception. Ah, so, okay. You know that that'd I be see, kind of cool. I see. Now, now the platform, you know, 
does some of that now for us, but still back in the day, it was, it was good stuff. And it made it a very simple way to, uh, you know, fork the logic based on I what see. is going on. Cool. Um, at the end of the session, let's talk a little bit about the news you want to announce. Would you like to start? Yeah, so the the unit of work is part of what is called the FFLib Apex Common Framework. And that has the FFLib Apex Common Framework was originally designed by the developers and development team over at Financial Force. Um, they were gracious enough. They had built their accounting product on it, and they were gracious enough to expose it as open source. Um, it has been a, a leading uh, framework in the community for many, many years now. Um, there have always been other frameworks as well. Uh, again, the Financial Force guys developed the Apex Mox framework, which was uh, it was a it was absolute fabulous godsend when it comes to uh, true unit testing and modular unit testing and mocking of objects. It's a fabulous framework um, that'll take you very easy to pick up in a lifetime to master. Um, there have been some other frameworks that come about. You were talking about it earlier in this one. Um, uh, around dependency injection. So Andy Fawcett and uh, Doug Ayers and myself created uh, the uh, Force DI framework. And uh, there's other frameworks like um, the AT4DX framework, which is um, really, it's a framework that sits on top of the first three and it helps uh, add that final element to do large scale um, second generation package um, development, so you can and and you can sort of blend all these packages together in sort of a modern interlocking type way. So there's a lot of these different frameworks out there. Um, what happened was right around Dreamforce 19 and around November of uh, 2019, um, Financial Force agreed to uh, transfer ownership of these of the repositories that they had um, to a group called a group now. Uh, called the Apex Enterprise Pattern Open Source Group. And so what this is, is just a collection of community developers, uh, myself included, um, Andy Fawcett, uh, other people like um, Dave Esposito over at pa Patron Technology, and a few other people. And we, the group now maintains and owns uh, the FFLib Apex Common, the Apex Mox, the Force DI frameworks, and there's a couple more frameworks. The AT4DX framework will be coming to them. As well, and so it it provide we're, what the intention is. We're going to be community supporting this. Um, you know, Financial Force was really great at um, being the steward and the owner of their repos, but there were so many community ideas uh, and and pull requests and enhancements to the framework. They just they were struggling to keep up with them. They needed some help, and so these are all just community volunteers. And uh, so we've took ownership of the um, various repos. We're dusting them off where they need to be dusted off a little bit, give them some love. Uh, they will be converting to uh, DX. They will be proper uh, CI, CD, or CI uh, implementation soon on all these different frameworks. And they'll all, um, I think it's going to be a, a great value add to the community. And uh, we're going to, over the coming year, uh, consolidate all of the different blogs and documentation and write-ups write that have been done on all these great frameworks, and we're going to put them in one specific spot. So um, there's a single place that everybody can go. It's uh, github.com slash apex dash enterprise dash patterns. And that's the uh, GitHub organization for this group. And um, they'll be able to find all the different libraries, and pretty soon you'll be able to find all the documentation you ever need. 
And but again, you know, we still encourage anybody who has, you know, like you said, if there was a bug that you find in the in the framework, well, pull, uh, you know, fork that repo, fix the bug, and open a pull request, and we'll get it, you know, figured out. You know, and a lot of times we'll bring those um, changes right through. A lot of times, there's sometimes we won't bring the changes through because you know it's it's again. You know, thinking about the larger implementations, thinking about the, the larger focus of these repos and what they're trying to extend. So, but yeah, it's it's, it's very exciting. So, excellent. Not, yeah, yeah, I think it'll be value add to everybody. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for all the you know great work in the open source community, Salesforce world. Definitely, you know, need this open source ideas or this work you have done. Thanks, John. So th- that's the Thank all. You. So talk to you next time.